0: You're listening to the Animation Addicts Podcast, episode 279, ranking the Disney CEOs. to today's episode. Hey there, animation addicts. I'm Morgan Stradling. And I'm Chelsea Robson. We got a fun, fun episode for you today because there are there is some breaking news as of the past few weeks. Bob Iger is back in as Disney's chief executive officer. It's kind of like earth shattering, but not really. Right. <laughs> <laughs> if you followed the company the past few years, it's like, okay, well, it seems... There needed to be a change. Trust me, y- we'll yes. talk about it. There needs- but yes. the shocking part is that the old guy is now the new guy. So,
1: yeah, so that should be an interesting turn of events. Well, I am excited to jump into this. This is also a conversation that I have been wanting to do for like a year. (laughs) Oh, for sure. Even before any of this happened. Yes. So we, for a long time, if you've been a long time listener, you've noticed they're like, oh, we're totally going to do a tier ranking of our, of our favorite Disney CEOs based on (laughs) all the standard and non-standard things that we judge things by. So Generally speaking, we're going to be going off of a lot of things that are like factual statements. Uh, but then there's also just the yeah, I just don't like him, okay? <laughs> so we're going to be going a little bit of the a little bit of the of the art and a little bit of the science side of what makes a good Disney CEO. Let's hop into it.
0: Hey. Well, anyway, let me say
1: you're welcome, you're welcome. for the wonderful world you know. Hey, it's okay. It's okay. You're welcome. we well, come. To
0: think of it, I
1: got to go. Hey, hey
0: it's hey, okay. Your hey, hey. you're welcome. So, we are going to go chronological order, talk about each one of these CEOs, discuss a little bit about their bio, their pros and their cons, what they did, big accomplishments, just our thoughts on them. Some, obviously, we'll have a lot more thoughts than others. And then at the very end, we will rank them. Now, you might think, okay, Disney CEO, number one, Walt Disney. Oh, no, no, no. Walt Disney was never CEO. It was Roy O. Disney, his brother, the financial guy who was CEO. So even though you want to attribute you know, so much of the Walt Disney Company's success to Walt, which you should, as far as talking about CEO wise, we can't do that. So unfortunately, Walt, you don't make the cut because you weren't the CEO.
1: (laughs) You were never CEO, Walt, but we love you because you were the guy guy who got everything going. And Roy was
0: the guy that made it all stick. And I think that's really important is that he had a very important number two Or there, there was a duo here that was happening. One was the creative, one was the financial and the business, and they really worked very well together instead of maybe just solely being a creative forced into a CEO position and really having that creativity squashed out of you.
1: Yeah. And there is a very different, being a CEO is just a very different job than being the the chief creative executive type person. Mm Mm-hmm it's, you know, left brain versus right brain. And so it's, there's some people that it's like, there's a book that I love um, called good to great. And it talks about, well, you know, the, the companies that take their, their company from just a good one to a great company. Some of the key factors is they, they know their players, they know who's on the bus and they know where to put each person on the bus. So that they're able to move it forward and everyone's playing the part that they do the best and not trying to like be something that they're not that great at, like innately. Right. Exactly.
0: All right. So let's talk about Roy. So Roy's tenure lasted from 1929 through 1971, obviously the largest of any of the CEOs. Um, And he was family. He was one of the founders of the company, you know, with Walt. He was so instrumental. I know Walt Disney gets all of the fame and the recognition, but Roy really was there as the number two and a very, very, very important player. Um, it's just because he wasn't, he wasn't the creative guy. He didn't come up with all the fun movies and and whatnot, but Roy made it happen and, and saw that come to life. So, you know, like you said, he was the financial guy, co-founder. So that's also, you know, very important and notable. This is the only one who will be a co-founder of the company, right? He, he basically, you know, went through 1971. He was going to retire early, but then, um, Walt Disney died. And so he continued to stay as CEO because he really wanted to see uh, Walt Disney World be completed, which was completed in 1971. Once that was completed, he retired. And unfortunately, he died two months later after retiring, which is really sad that, you know, this this moment of rest that he wanted was the ultimate rest. Yeah. One of my
1: favorite stories of like the background of of Disney. I was watching the making of Pollyanna, and there is a quote that they misattribute to Lincoln in the movie, and. So, but Roy (laughs) Roy didn't know that. And so he just went ahead and like had these like lockets made with that quote and link it next to it. It was like internet before the internet. Exactly. And so he just, uh, the, it was just one of those moments like, yeah, he's the money guy. So it doesn't really matter (laughs) to him. Like these details, it's like, yeah, let's make that, make that something we can sell, put it out there. Let's get our money, get more money on it which i thought that was amazing but you know i i just see him and the fact that there is a disney at all you can attribute i believe to the fact that roy was there to make it work there were so many times that they were in almost in bankruptcy there were so many times where almost failed but both of them together they just made such a great team and they, he was the one that kind of secured a lasting foundation to be able to move forward past him.
0: So good on you, Roy. And it, it's so hard to list, you know, for some of these, we'll be listening like pros and, and cons and and different accomplishments. And it's so hard to just really list them. It's basically the golden age, the silver age <laughs> yes. of, of animation. I mean, the first full length, Color animated film was released under him. Uh, Many, many, many movies. Just this legacy was created. Walt Disney World or Walt Disney World and Walt and Disneyland Park were opened under him. There's just so much that this period of time. um, Yeah, it's it. He he did it all. So we'll just put it there. I can't really think of a lot of cons. I mean, obviously, they butted heads from time to time, but he really kept Walt in line, which was needed. And I think without him wouldn't have happened. So. There is that. So let's move on to the next one. Don Tatum. So Don Tatum served from 1971 to 1976. He was a Stanford grad and he had two law degrees from Oxford. So this should sort of give you an idea of the type of manager or CEO that he's going to be, because there really are, as far as like CEOs come uh, different varieties. Um, you know, there's the marketing guy, who, or girl, obviously, who, you know, comes up through marketing, they come up with all these ways to sell the product and, and be really innovative. On the other side, there's maybe the product side of things where they come up with the ideas. And in, in the tech world nowadays, you know, that's more of the engineering that can be the engineering folks who come up with the features, but in a movie studio or an entertainment company, you know, that's going to be the actual physical, uh, entertainment venues that you come up with, or the movies and and all of that product. So that's really important. And then uh, there are the, the, the finance and the law guys that are very cut and dry. Usually they're looking for where can we cut, you know, so there's kind of these three, maybe more, obviously, different types of CEOs. But the fact that he was a law guy kind of shows you what kind of CEO he's going to be. He practiced entertainment law until he moved over to Disney. He became a production business manager in 1956. And then, you know, just a few uh, less than two decades later, overtook as CEO. He succeeded Roy. So but he had a very short run compared, obviously, to Roy, just five years um, he helped Roy, you know, bringing up Walt Disney Resort. He wasn't still he was necessarily the CEO when that launched, but he was very instrumental. He helped with Epcot and Tokyo Disneyland, and also under him, Space Mountain is a notable. And he was just kind of known as the Maximize Profits guy. See, That's- I'm not
1: sure if, if being the guy in charge of Space Mountain is a good thing or a bad thing, considering it's <laughs> always down, but it's like one of the greatest shows, like one of the greatest rides, but it's always down. Yeah, <laughs> so- better that than
0: Matterhorn, which is just like you know, chiropractic visit waiting to happen. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. So, I mean, other than that, there's not really much to really say as far as the animation and the movie studios goes. These are really kind of down years. These are, it's the bronze age, right? Right. It's just not a highlight for Disney as far as their, their movies are concerned.
1: So here's a question. Do you think the CEO has to also be a person that develops, um, ideas like
0: leads from the front type of guy? Uh I mean, not necessarily. I mean, ultimately, if the company is ridiculously successful and profitable and people are happy, then no, but mm-hmm. I think that's kind of what you're talking about are the things that people more so see right and and are more visual and 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 kind of go more into people's rankings or attitude toward the company, yeah. So let's move into E. Carden Walker, also known as Card Walker. He served from 1976 to 1983, just a few more years than good old Don. Uh, he started classic stories, started in the mailroom in 1938. I love that. Which I love a good mailroom to CEO story. And then, uh, you know, left. A lot of these guys uh, served in the war or or had military service. You know, he returned um, in 1956 to became the vice president of advertising and sales. So this is while Walt. Walt and Roy were still around in 1960. He was elected to the board of directors, which is really exciting and a big moment in 1966. Obviously, when Walt died, um, he then was promoted to become the executive vice president and chief operating officer. So really climb those ranks. And you, you'll see in many companies and then obviously in Disney, a lot of the fu- the future CEOs are selected from, you know, the the board of directors or um, just the chief uh, the C-suite, if you will. Uh-huh. So he he was chief operating officer. Um, he was the president of the company from 1972 to 1977. So there was a bit of overlap when he was both president and CEO. And, so, and even though he wasn't necessarily pr- the CEO for this whole time, he did spend 50 years on the board of Disney, Wow, which is impressive, especially after having left CEO. Sometimes former CEOs Not always, but, um, depends whether it's a positive or negative leaving, but former CEOs kind of just leave forever, which we'll see, you Uh know, Ron Miller or others. Um, but he stuck around even after that. So his notable, notable things are establishing, um, Tokyo Disneyland in the eighties. He, he worked with the Oriental land company to do that. In case you don't know, Disney doesn't necessarily own Tokyo Disneyland because of the way that property management and rights work in Tokyo but he was able to make it happen where we they have this deal with Tokyo with the Oriental Land Company then um you know further helped uh, before you know even way before that um Walt Disney World and Epcot and then founded the Disney Channel with Ron Miller Ron Miller was kind of his number 2 in 1982 so not a ton that happened here. But enough. Uh because of the 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 time that he spent
1: there, I feel like no matter who you are, the fact that you're there that long, you're just able to create more of a of a consistency around you. And I think that can be a good thing, it can be a bad thing, who knows. Uh but it seems like this was based on what was happening outside of just animation specifically, you were still getting good films out there, and you like he's looking and actually expanding more into the park side, so I feel like he's doing a good job, like yeah,
0: yeah, and a lot sometimes you know you not everyone has to be the star, and not everyone can have this big moment. sometimes you're the assist guy, yeah, where you're prepping and you're you're setting the stage, paving the way for the big win, right. Or the big person to come and then take the ball, score the shot. Right. Um, so that's, I, that's what I feel like these seventies were kind of leading up to the seventies and eighties. It's just kind of leading up to a, a moment that needed to happen. You know, there was the, the rise of Disney, the fall of Disney, and we're kind of in the, these years of bringing it back. And so that's what we have with Ron Miller, the, the, the shortest of all of the Disney CEOs, um, to date 1983 to 1984, he was Walt's son-in-law. He married their only child, Diane Disney. And many people thought that this was simply a nepotism play, that, you know, he wouldn't have got the job if it wasn't because he was, you know, married to a Disney.
1: I mean... Um let's be honest. It's going to be easier if you're
0: married. Oh, for sure. <laughs> I mean, we can't, we can't re redo history and see what would have happened if he hadn't married her. But the, the fact of association to her, of course, got him some of those early right. jobs, but if you're not good at your jobs, <laughs> most of the time, uh, <laughs> you're, you're not going to be promoted to even beyond, you know, the certain levels. And he, he was, so, you know, he first worked um, before this, as a liaison between uh, WED Enterprises, which we now know as the Imagineers, um, and Disneyland. So he, that was his main job, you know, in the in the 50s was kind of this la- liaison between the Imagineers and, and ultimately what would become Disneyland. In 1977, he was a second assistant for Old Yeller. Um, of oh, course, wow. he got the job with Walt's help. Now ultimately we'll talk about his accomplishments, but ultimately he was removed by the way of the save Disney campaign. Now this campaign has been launched two different times by the nephew of Walt Disney. Whenever I think of, you know, nephew relating to Disney, I always think of Huey, Dewey and Louie, you know, or (laughs) the nephews of, of Donald Duck just getting in the way. Um, but Roy E. Disney, you know, really had opinions on, you know, and he was obviously a an employee and shareholder and, and very notable. So because he was, he was Roy's son. Yes. Which we forget. Uh, I mean, we don't forget, but it's kind of like you, we always kind of remove Roy from the equation and which, make it seem like he's, he's just his nephew, but it's like, no, he was the, another co founders son. Yes. Um, Which gives him that much more credence and viability in my mind. So, so I mean, but, this is
1: like a, this is like the cousins type thing. Ron Miller is his wife and is cousins to Roy E. <laughs> right. And so right. it's like you think about your cousin and be like, okay, now we're we're still we work together, but she really <laughs> wasn't involved, but the fact that when Ron married her, then he was Involved, which I understand. Like, you know, you gotta. It, it would have been interesting company. to see
0: if this was a different era if maybe Diane would have had interest in working for Disney. You know, she never did and then right. never worked in any capacity with Disney. Um, and it kind of goes with the sign of the times. And then there's no right or wrong with that. But, you know, maybe if this was 50 years later, it would have been kind of like a battle between Roy and Diane yeah, as that far would as be interesting. taking over and just who's in charge and whatnot. But I mean it's not like the company just immediately rolled over to Roy E right. Disney um after his dad died you know that it was so established at this point in time they really wanted to put it in some good hands so yeah, you know, so that that campaign was was successful and and got him removed. So he <laughs> after this point, I mean, he went Camp and reunions bought unions are going to be rough after this point. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he bought a winery in Napa and continued to work it, you know, through um until when he died. I believe he died in 2019. But he really never talked about Disney again, obviously, because of Diane. They were really it it was important that they maintained the legacy of her dad. But as far as his time at Disney and everything else, it just, no, he kind of just moved on and that was the time of his life, but important, notable things that he did. He created touch tone, touch tone, which um, I mean, that's a big the, thing. The adult film version of Disney. So that way they could release some of these more adult films. I put quotes around that, you, you know, without ruining Disney's family friendly brand, you know, notably splash. Right, was one right. of these that came the out very first one Ron, We talked Miller about was... with, with um, Walker that he established the Disney channel, you know, yes. and then he also worked to make the first attempts at commute computer animation. So he was really paving the way for Disney's future success. Um, And then I saw this and I thought it was really funny. He did get even though he, you know, was never with the company and he was there in the the 70s. He has movie credits and I don't know. It didn't say which ones, but he gets producing credits on Pete's Dragon, Escape to Witch Mountain and Inside Out. So I don't know if these are the new versions of that, um, because I think this it was referencing after he left the company. He still got these producing credits. I don't know. Uh, But the thing that for me that stood out, whether Pete's Dragon escaped a witch mountain, whatever. But inside, inside out, how? <laughs> how yeah, that's it? really weird. So and why? So I, 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 have, I know no information about this, but I need to do more digging <laughs> to, yeah. to see what happened there. Oh, and here we come, Morgan. These, uh,
1: <laughs> here we, the Michael Eisner years. Oh goodness, this one we we've both read the book the Disney War. And this book, it's like 40 hours on Audible,
0: which <laughs> one of those, it's
1: one of those. Uh, but it was so fascinating as I was reading or listening to this. I didn't sit down and read 40, like 5,000 pages. No, it was just so fascinating though. He, he was just how he started out at NBC and CBS and then just moved over. And he's like bringing all these people with him. And the, his whole arc of being in charge was just, it is definitely worth a listen. You should definitely check it out because it's full of the tea. You got so oh, much yes. stuff going on. We will going include on. a
0: link in the show notes where you could check out this book because it it is a must for any Disney fan, I feel. I think so, too.
1: Like You really don't understand the company until you understand the Michael Eisner years.
0: So Michael Eisner served from 1987 to till 2005. So very, very long. This is one of the longer ones to this point. Like you said, he was an entertainment guy. He came from Rival Studios, and this was the first time that ever did that ever happened. Like
1: everybody else, is mm-hmm, everyone's mm-hmm. growing up in the company, and exactly. this one they poached him. So right, it, that's a big big deal.
0: Well, kind of. I mean he he was passed over for chairman at Paramount Pictures, so he left and he joined ABC Family. Okay, and so he worked. So I mean, he didn't grow up in the company, but he very quickly you know, he was an assistant to the national programming director and then vice senior vice president of programming and development at ABC. Uh, well, ABC at this point wasn't Disney. I sh- I need to note that because he then later acquired them. So yeah, but he, so he was a like, you're right. He was a outsider, but a competitor in the industry kind of, you know, and so he did lots of things as his notable accomplishments. I, I, you could say the Disney Renaissance was under him. Uh Absolutely. Absolutely. He, this was one of the first, at least, you know, maybe there were other acquisitions that happened, but these are the big notable ones. When you think of Disney, he acquired ABC and ESPN, Mm -hmm. which were huge at the time. He did a lot for the parks. He opened Hollywood studios in 1989, animal kingdom, Hong Kong, Disneyland, Disneyland Paris opened in 1992 you put that and as a con. <laughs> I did, and I'll tell you why. <laughs> and California Adventure opened in two thousand one, and I also put that as a con because he <laughs> um, California Adventure was re- was opened on the cheap, and it really had no vision. I it just, that. It, yeah, it, it had a crappy vision as far as what they were trying to do with it. Um, it's like it, summer it Pier. yay! Basically, in California, right? Yeah, like I could just go five minutes away and do that. Like, that's not for me what Disney's about. And there's so many examples. You could find some YouTube videos of just these rides that were just horribly done. And, and it just didn't stick with the Disney brand. And it was, it was considered a failure for a lot of times. Now I put Disney on Paris as a con because you'll learn in Disney war that he was being encouraged to put Euro Disney at the time, you know, before they ultimately decided on Disneyland Paris to put it in Barcelona or put it into Spain Mm -hmm. um, and to put it by the Spanish coast, which was very much a tourist destination and very beautiful. They had this amazing real estate just would have been incredible. But in his mind, he was so set. Like when you think of Europe, you think of Paris and was dead set on putting it in France, which, France wasn't really like a Disney place per se. Um, I mean, it it just
1: neither really is Spain, but it's also Spain just I like I've visited Spain and Europe and I like Spain better. I mean, I spent more time in Spain, but it was just like, it's
0: nice. It's really nice. And so, you know, he did a lot. There was definitely the rise and fall of Eisner. And I think Eisner, when people think of him. Uh, at least initially after he left, people were very angry with him and upset with him. And I think, you know, they kind of ignore the, the early years, the first decade, and they Mm -hmm. focus on the second decade. Um, but he really did a lot of good for the company, uh, and which we've, we've discussed now something important to note. He did have Frank Wells, who was kind of his number two. I would, I would and, assume that he's really the reason why there was a fall of Michael Eisner. Yes. And and he died in a helicopter crash in 1994. And it's really interesting because around that time, that's really like the mid nineties, the mid Renaissance mm-hmm. is really kind of like a pivot point when things start to change for the company, as far as quality, what we had seen the years prior. Um, so he had Frank was his Roy essentially. Yeah. Um, or vice versa <laughs> yeah. and helped so much. And, and I really feel that him dying just changed the game for him and it really affected him. Um, you know, this wasn't just a business associate. It was a, a very, very dear friend, someone he'd been with a long time.
1: Right. And I just, there's parts in Disney World where it talks about Eisner, like really after this point, really wanted to be seen as like King, and so he even put his desk like on a pedestal, so it was higher than the people that came in to see him at his desk. So they had to like yes. look up. Yes. Oh to my him. goodness! <laughs> please, guys, just never just, be like, that. Never do this, please. <sighs> but I honestly think that it was because Frank died, and his. I I feel like Frank was a bit of a person that kind of just kept his ego kept michael's ego in check as far as like they were a partnership in a lot of ways and because he no longer had that partner to bounce things off of that he trusted that there was that like bond there um i feel like he just that he's like no look what i've done look where i am and that really ticked a lot of people off for a good cause. So the last decade, like it was just so bad how he was. Oh, oh yeah. It was like, <laughs> it's just amazing when you think of, when you read how just awful this man was at the end. But once again, I I want to all, I want to like, I want to see a Michael Eisner era era with Frank Wells again. That would be amazing. If you could, if yes. you could break, if you could break Michael Eisner up into two parts, then it would be the Frank Wells version. And then without Frank and the with Frank is, I think everybody would be like, yes, that was the best, uh-huh. but with you, with the good, you also have to t- look at the bad. And so hmm, where shall he fall in our rankings? we don't know
0: <laughs> we shall see so next up is bob eiger who served from 2005 to 2020 and he had grown up in with disney he was under eisner he served as president and chief operating officer from 2000 to 2005 and was you know kind of waiting in the wings if you will mm-hmm perfect timing. A lot of this, so many of these, you know, getting the key position is just timing being in the right place at the right time. And he did help mend the relationship between Roy E. Disney and the Disney company. This this was another, around this 2005-2006 period, uh, there was another Save Disney campaign that uh-huh. Roy waged. I remember I went onto the website, I contributed, I was like yes, exactly. Because you remember <laughs> the, the early 2000s as far as animation, the quality just was not there, yeah. Chicken Little. <laughs> and then they decided that they were going to shut down you know 2D animation, which was horrible. And this was this really affected Roy because he felt like this was one of your flagship parts of the company animation and and traditionally animation and and just to abandon it was uh, offensive to him um and so what what Iger ended up doing he named he named Roy a director emeritus and he remained on as a consultant for the company so he patched that up and he did a really good job I mean really is kind of a people person um but when I think of Iger man All I think about is acquisition. That's all this guy, you know, there's, there's different ways that you can grow a company, especially when you're a publicly traded company and you're having to show growth because the, the market wants to see that your company is growing year on year out, that you're always producing more profit, more money. And that initially in a company's, you know, early years, is easy to do, you know, you start at zero, it's easy to grow from there and show year over year growth. But then once you hit a certain point, it becomes a lot harder. And so one way that, companies do this. You know, one way is they just improve the product and they make it better and, and sell that way. But another way is they say, you know what, screw it. Let's just acquire a whole bunch of companies. Yeah. It inflates the, the value of our portfolio. And it look what we did. Wow. We were doubled. And it's like, but did you, So there are some notable, (laughs) notable acquisitions. Pixar in 2006, $7.4 billion, which is huge. Yes. Um, That was a very, he had a a great relationship with, with Steve Jobs, was able to make that happen. I mean, if you read, I think I read uh, Bob Iger's book. And he talks, really, he's just, t- mostly, It's. it was really frustrating, to be honest. I'll include a link in, in the show notes if you want to listen to it. But he's just, like, all of his accomplishments when he talks about his career is just, like, all the acquisitions that he did. And it was like, but what else is yeah. there? <laughs> um, so in Marvel in 2009, only $4 billion. Now, you have to remember, at this point in time, Marvel was, was not the Marvel. Marvel that it is today. Marvel was really dying. It had sold off different rights to different studios and it was just all over the place and it just wasn't popular. It was a comic book company, but as far and you know, and obviously we remember some of the animated TV shows of the nineties and whatnot, uh-huh. but those weren't, those weren't big. Those weren't huge. It just, it was really a dying brand. And he still saw that and said, hey, you know, even though they've sold off a lot of their big characters like Spider-Man, you, they still have these other ones that we could do something with, you know, such as all of the Avengers or nearly all of them, you know, Captain right. America, um, Black Widow, Iron Man. These are these are names, which is crazy to think that like people mostly didn't know about. Yeah. They were not the big Marvel. It wasn't the Spider-Man. Properties. It wasn't. No, it. Right. Like, basically
1: Spider-Man. Spider-Man.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. Maybe X-Men. X-Men so. as well, because they had a good run. Yes. Um, but they had been, the, at that point, they'd been sold off to Fox. Right. So, I mean, they really had this, like, very narrow pool of of characters, but they still took a risk on it. It's proven to be yeah, incredibly, And even at this point, they didn't have
1: spider Like, Marvel. Right. So it's like, what else, what else do you got there, Marvel? Right, right. Um, but that is the fact that an Iron Man was nothing, and so you you look at the Star of Marvel, which is its own which is its own story and in, in and of itself it
0: was after they did that Disney bought them that they were like okay breathe new life into us go so yeah so then there was Lucasfilm so initially when I was typing this I mistyped and I wrote 41 billion instead of 4.1 billion and I was like holy cow how did man no wonder George Lucas sold that's incredible I (laughs) mean 4.1 billion is still amazing still amazing but (laughs) I I I looked back take the money and run okay 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 that that makes more sense um 4.1 billion so still at this point Pixar was there your biggest acquisition. Another notable is he got Oswald the lucky rabbit back, which that was the pre Mickey that had been had been basically stolen poached or you right. know, legal legal whatever you know, disney lost it and roy really loved this and appreciated this and thought that this was just so great showing that he had so much faith in the company and was was doing right by the company right Eve. Yeah, um there's no reason to go back and let's let's acquire this forgotten property from the 20s that really has literally has done nothing since you know the owners of it just didn't capitalize right. like mickey mouse um so there we go you know and and during his time as ceo Disney was named so got so many awards as like the most reputable company by Forbes, most admired company by Fortune magazine, most respected, blah 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 blah. It was like Company of the Year in 2013. Wow. Um, you know he on multiple lists was was best CEO, uh, so many different times on different different lists. So uh, you know he really brought the Disney movies back. Um, and just a huge comeback for disney live action uh even disney animation to a point um, he launched the magic bands at walt disney world which are now officially at disneyland and and that's just been a huge money maker for them mm. so i when i was really disappointed when i read his biography that there really was nothing about the parks and you know i wanted to see okay like okay you acquired a bunch of companies mm. and you made some movies but what what else as far as the parks? Cause the parks are such a huge part of the company now. Um, but he didn't, yeah, that, that was, um, that was someone else. So that is Bob Iger so far. <laughs> so <laughs> I far. can't really say anything about his, his new, uh, you know, his 2022 reign so far, but lastly, let's wrap it up with Bob Chapick. He served just two years, 2020 to 2022. He was previously the head of Disney Parks Experience and Products. So you think, oh, okay, a parks guy coming in. He understands the parks. He understands the people. He understands what people want. But uh, spoiler alert, he didn't. Uh, He really was a money guy, more so than previous CEOs. But he... I mean, okay, we'll talk about it, but (laughs) he had a huge expansion um, of the Disney parks, even just in these two short years. So, you know, the opening of Shanghai Disneyland. Yeah, that was huge. He doubled the fleet of the Disney cruise lines, huge, huge investments into new lands and attractions at Disneyland and Disney World. Now, these aren't as CEO. These are as his Disney parks experience and products. Okay. Um, Yeah, because that would be great but then you know unfortunately as soon as he took over the reins you know he had done all these amazing things with the parks and and really done a lot 2020 hit and he basically was the covid era ceo right and not too many companies did great covid especially theme parks because of draconian lockdowns and just certain states that you know you have florida which opened up relatively quickly after in 2020 and Disneyland was closed for a whole entire year and had a very slow reopening. And mostly that was just due to the different States and their opinions on, on that. And so he had to deal with that, which was unfortunate. Um, the, the theme parks were closed. The cruise lines were closed. He had to lay off thousands of employees. I mean, what else could he do really during this time? Um, So notable accomplishments, I'd say initially at the launch of Disney Plus. Now that technically came out November 2019. Um, So technically that's an Iger accomplishment, but he kept it going. However, um, (laughs) basically he... He angered fans um by doing so many different things with the parks. Everything seemed like a money grab. Mm-hmm. You know, things that were previously free were now char like major charging um things that were just part of the Disney experience, people felt were lost. It just felt like you were just like a ca- piece of cattle Ooh, at the gimme, Disney gimme, parks. Gimme, gimme. <laughs> yeah, and he he really angered fans and and investors when he called Disneyland pass holders um, an unfavorable attendance mix. Oh gosh, <laughs> meaning that there there are too many pass holders in the parks. Ultimately, because pass holders they buy the pass and they go and they go and they go and they go and they typically don't spend as much as the right. family who has been saving. This is the once in five years that they go, or the f- once in a lifetime, or maybe they they go once a year, and which I totally get, but that's a part of your business model and part of your fans and you just have to kind of learn the work around it but he really was known for it and you can see this in uh, there's lots of blogs and articles and all sorts of videos all over talking about this but he 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 really changed it to start catering to the mega wealthy Mm -hmm. you know the european the asian the out of the international uh, visitors to the parks who would just come and had so much money would stay at the top tier resort and would spend on every single experience and food and dining and all of it. Um, those were the people that they really wanted to cater to. And it left a lot of just the regular old fans, you know, the fans who had had an annual pass that would just go for a few hours on a Friday night left them really, really upset with him.
1: Yeah. The parts, (laughs) the fact is I was watching this, uh, I I came across this Instagram profile that they were doing, like basically fake news out of Disney, but everything that they posted, I completely believed because it was just so bad. Like Disney now now charges for this, Disney now charges for this. And like, like had all these, you know, Disney's going to own Anastasia kind of, (laughs) kind of like headlines. And then it's like, but it felt the fact that I did not even, question if it was real or not. I just accepted the fact that, yes, this is this is the chapek era and this is what they think of everybody is just it was really sad. And I haven't been to the parks this year, but my brother and sister-in-law and their family went and they were just like, yeah, because you have to pay for now you have to pay mm-hmm, for fast mm-hmm. passes. Now you have to pay for all these things. It's like, what? What? <laughs> yep.
0: Yep. I I came just a few months ago. Went and it was a bummer. Yeah. So ultimately what led to his downfall was there was a disastrous quarter for 2022 earnings. Um, and Disney does their financial quarters, not on the, the calendar year, it's on the financial calendar. So Q4 ends at the end of basically October and, or, or the end of, sorry, the end of September and and then they usually have the the earnings call a few weeks after that. So by the end of October, this came out and it just showed that Disney was losing... Okay billions, you know, yes. and then there were maybe some funny accounting things that were happening to try to hide some of this at uh, billions, as far as Disney plus and, uh, and a variety of other things. It was just not a good thing. So it ultimately led for people calling for his removal and it happened. And then lo and behold, Bob Iger is back in the business, which uh, this is not an easy thing to do. To end a CEO, they have this golden yeah. parachute typically, which is if I sign on a CEO, I don't want to be, you know, given the boot after a year or two. You have right. to give me time to really prove and see a strategy through. So if the company and the shareholders decide, no, we're done with you, there's usually a very ex- uh, large payout that happens. This is called the golden parachute. So they they ultimately, Disney decided it was more worth it to pay him to get out Billion, millions of dollars, millions, of millions of dollars. Um, then, then keep him in, and so that's what happened. And there we are. We now have Iger again. I'm not going to speak to him. It's only been a month, but we shall see. So now that those are all the wow, we've just gone through the whole Disney history. That's so many. And now it is time for us to rank ranking the CEOs. All
1: right. So as far as pros and cons that we had, as far as Roy. You know, I I honestly have to say, ah, just out of my own, the fact that you were right there with Walt during all that time and kept it going all these years, like, I, I think it's easy to say that he's the number one. Mm-hmm. Like, for me, I don't know about you, but for me, I would say Roy, Roy, Roy O. Disney, he was the number one. He's, I don't know, it's the nostalgia factor, the fact he kept, it is a thing because of you. So, yeah. So, I think that's an easy... Win for you, um. Mm-hmm. I mean, Don Tatum and E. Corden Walker. Honestly, they're forgetfuls. Like, yes, nobody knows who they are. So, I would say just by that, I'm gonna put them. So, we're gonna do like A, B, and C tiers. I'm gonna say, okay, <laughs> let's let's do that because it's gonna be okay. too hard for me to like rank them. But I would put them in a C in the C tier, just because. Yeah, <laughs> like, who are they? I don't know. <laughs> um, Ron Miller. Uh, from where would you put Ron?
0: So I have a list. Okay. I have Roy at the top, number one, Iger number two. <laughs> yeah. Eisner three. <laughs> Four Miller. Five Chapic, because he's the worst. But Walker and Tatum as six and seven, just because, like you said, they're so such unknowns and just non-entities. They're I guess like my hatred that's not, not right. how I feel but you know my disdain for Chapek could push him them even below these two unknowns from the 70s but before that's just I'm I'm not there were yeah. so, a few good things that he did that were notable um so that that's my list <laughs> okay
1: so I'll be, I'll do the A B and C for me so A level is Roy C is for Don and Walker uh, Tatum and Walker, Ron Miller. I'm going to put you in the B category one, because I know you <laughs> and the fact that you did do some good things. And even though I feel like you were, as if I'm talking to him,
0: um, I feel like it is... <laughs> you're giving him business advice, <laughs> like <laughs> career advice going forward.
1: <laughs> like, I feel like the there really wasn't a lot of like push forward in what i've seen of his other than the fact that he did uh touchstone like that was his first thing like yeah sure mm-hmm. we'll add it mm-hmm. we'll add this to it i don't feel like there was really any movement forward in the company with him so maybe i'll put him actually back down to the c level um eisner i mean Like I said before, if I could switch him and, and do half Eisner, Eisner, (laughs) Eisner A and Eisner B, Uh (laughs) I would still, I would definitely buy the shirt, Michael Eisner, the early years. (laughs) (laughs) That would be an actually an amazing shirt to do. Like I love Michael Eisner in parentheses, the early years. (laughs) Nice. Um, So I would put him, ah, he did so many things in the early years. So early years, I'm going to put him at the A list. Later years, I'm putting him at the, like, C. Like, people wanted him out. They were ousting Mm -hmm. him. Like, the fact that you're making everybody looking up to you is like, oh, come on now. Right. (laughs) Bob Iger, I can't put him up at an A-list just because there's... Even though he did go ahead and add all of these things to his catalog of everything, I feel like, like, I just... There's one video of, like, the story of... Pixar that I watched. And I just remember him quoting as to why he bought Pixar. And he said, Well, I was just down at the parks and I was realizing that the only characters that were really popular right now were the Pixar characters. So we might as well just buy them, you know? So it was just kind of like a, like, it's a scapegoat almost
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: it's just kind of like the lazy man's success principles you know like let's just yeah. let's just buy all the people that are doing good things and then hope that they stay doing good things maybe maybe not and for the most part even marvel was great at the beginning lucas film has just been a disaster all the way around <laughs> oswald is like
0: okay you see him <laughs> at california adventure like people wear his merch but that's about it yeah,
1: yeah. um So, I mean, Pixar was really the only thing that was going good, but maybe it's the, was it Bob Iger that took Pixar down on the lower side or was it Bob Chapek or was it the combination of both, you know? So I don't know. So I'm going to put Bob, he did grow it to a very large amount. So I'll put him at a B level and then Bob Chapek. ah. Definitely e B, <laughs> C, D. We'll go. We'll go with D level. I just, yeah, I was just not a fan of just chipping away at the at the young,
0: at the smaller. I think fans. you're right. I think, yeah, you've convinced me. <laughs> this is always the way. Because, <laughs> yeah these these guys, Walker and Tatum, they were they were just kind of status quo. Didn't do yeah. much. Didn't do bad. There weren't like notable bad things that happened. Whereas by like, Chapik. Yeah, he's bottom on my list. He's seven out of seven. He has now totally just kind of ruined the Disney brand. And it's not the fact that the COVID pandemic happened it was very specific choices to really just anger a lot of people a lot of people literally everyone yeah, i talked to right you know so um and then yeah as far as Iger and eisner i can see uh, both of them are just kind of like met like they're good ish right but they definitely have their bad points yes so which one is the worst of the bad points is <laughs> it eisner or is it, whatever so roy top of the top that's at least we could at least we can agree on that. How
1: about, how about we switch my Michael Eisner and, and just add a Frank Wells, like yeah. <laughs> the first oh, part, Frank. we're just going to say Frank and Frank is definitely going to be like the number right under Roy. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> the guy that like, nobody really knows except for the people who know, mm-hmm. but yeah, mm-hmm. he was, I think if I were to, if I, that's how I'm ranking them, like the Frank Wells era, you're going to go up at right up with there with Roy, because there's so many things that the reason why I'm a Disney fan is because of that era. And, Mm -hmm. uh, the reason why everything kind of fell apart was because of Michael Eisner of
0: his own volition. So like, yeah, so that's, that's my ranking. All right. Let us know your thoughts on this episode and your thoughts on the different disney ceos through the years this was a fun one to do we've had it on our list for so long so i'm so glad that we were finally able to do it and and dive back into these names i mean i consider myself a hardcore disney fan but i could not have brought you know walker and tatum right <laughs> uh, off the top of my head <clears throat> excuse me that was like a yawn slash cough um, <laughs> off the top of my head so there you go Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Animation Addicts Podcast. You can find all the show notes and the links. I linked the various books that we talked about, Disney War, The Ride of a Lifetime by Iger, which again was so annoying because it calls it the ride of a lifetime, but literally never talks about the parks or the rides. So I was like, yeah, that's why I was mad. (laughs) But all of those are linked And you can read more. And thanks for joining us as usual. We'll see you next time. We're going to be doing a few Christmas movies. So this will be definitely a fun ride, speaking of. So go to rotoscopers.com slash 279. And until next time, we We are are the Rotoscopers. Rotoscopers. Talking to my friend, Chelsea. Hi, Pippa. Oh, I need to tell
1: you, uh, uh, as a as this is definitely going to be the patron part. I need to tell yeah. you about my time at the Latin Grammys. Okay, one second. Let me put on a show for Pippa. Pippa, this
0: is the last one. No, no, I
1: want to, I actually definitely want to. What do you want to do? Um,
0: make, I want to make an ornament. Make an ornament? Mm-hmm. Okay, we can make an ornament after I'm done. So can you go outside and play with some can you go put the trains away? And... Oh yeah. Well then we won't do it if you don't want to. <sighs> L-A-Z-Y. L-A-Z-Y. Pippa, you can you go put all your shoes away and then we'll make a special ornament? Okay, then we won't. Then go do it, girl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just go, just do it one bit at a time, okay? Put your Tony on and then you can see. You should see her face. Like, this is the worst thing I've ever asked her to do, (laughs) put her shoes away. (sighs) You've been listening to the Animation Addicts podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe and be sure to leave us a five-star review. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: And thank you!